0: Hello and welcome to Fantasy Life Podcast Week 11 Review Edition. I'm your host, Ian Hartz. It's a great day. It'd be great. Great day to be riding solo. By great, I mean we are riding solo. Dwayne the Rock McFarland will be back with us very soon. Just currently dealing with some real life stuff, but always good and always well, at least in NFL land, and hopefully with your fantasy football teams as well. So appreciate you guys tuning in as always. Once again, gonna be going through all the action from Sunday, the cool, the sheesh, the injuries you know the usage that's literally the four things i have on my show sheet for each and every game and because of that we're going to get right into it, everybody. So, entertaining one to start. Lions took down the Bears 31-26. to Bears did cover as eight-point underdogs in Justin Fields' first game back. The over did cash here at 48. So, yeah, guys, not, uh, not quite the best game here from Jared Goff and company, despite the W. And honestly, by Jared Goff and company, I just mean straight-up Jared Goff. This was rough. He not only had three interceptions. There probably should have been a pick six as they were about to score against the Bears' There was also another probable drop pick later in that game. So look, you know, it was home, it was against the Bears. I am not sure why Jared Goff couldn't quite put together a better performance, but end of the day, it got the W, and we've seen more than enough from Goff to still know that as much as we might still have one or two of these bad days from time to time, not something to get overly worked up about. So the good news, guys, is that the one thing we do have true in this world is our one true sun god, Amon Ra St. Brown. I mean, he just hasn't even missed this season. I mean, I pulled up his PPR points just every single game out there. We're talking about 14.2 PPR points as a Monra's worst game this season. Scored 21.7 today, 30.5 the week before. The man's not missing. Shout out Matthew Berry hitting that ride or die right on the head all the way back in early September. Guys. Another big game for both David Montgomery. Montgomery, see, I'm working on it. Old dog can learn new tricks. And Jameer Gibbs, right now, guys, currently pacing to be the first teammate pair of running backs on the same squad to post top 12 PPR per game numbers since, give you a couple seconds to guess, 2017 Alvin Kamara and Mark Ingram, and those would be the only pairs of guys to do it, period, since 2011. So special stuff going on in Detroit, and got to love that. In terms of the usage going on with these guys, now, again, you guys can find the utilization utilization report goodness on FancyLife.com. Dwayne McFarland's baby. I am mostly just going to be looking at some of the snaps and route stuff, but if you're trying to get more of that, you know, inside the five-yard line, long down and distance, the itty-gritty, that'll all be on FancyLife.com. Monday a.m. But with that in mind, guys, it really was the same thing that we saw last week. Jameer Gibbs 58% of the snaps. David Montgomery was at 41%. And although we did actually see them splitting up a little bit with the goal line stuff, Gibbs did get another short touchdown inside the five-yard line with the game on the line after Gibbs got stopped at the one-yard line, it did end up being Montgomery getting to push that in. So end of the day, it is probably the most fantasy-friendly offense for RBs in football. And I'm going to continue to answer all Lions running back starts sick questions with. Yes, got to love that. Uh Jameson Williams nice little game here, was able to score a deep touchdown, also just caught a routine contested catch and let's face it, that sort of stuff has not been easy for Jamo really out throughout his entire career. So, just the fact he made a couple nice catches On a career-best 66% route rate, guys, don't call to come back. I mean, he hasn't been here for years in this case, but still, guys, I mean, that's awesome. Josh Reynolds only ran two additional routes. This was a game with Donovan Peoples-Jones also active, and just coming out of that buy, seeing JMO go for 55 and then 66% route rates again. I know the counting numbers aren't crazy. We still only saw him go out there and get three total targets because, in this offense, it really is going to be a monra and then everyone else. But man, guys, J. We've seen he doesn't need that many targets to go ahead and get behind the defense. Maybe just maybe some even bigger things ahead. Going to see more and more games for the Lions indoors. So that can't hurt. Those are the last notes I had there with Detroit over on the Chicago side of things, guys. Great seeing Justin Fields back and, you know, talked about this on our questions pod. But I, Ian Hart, it's not a doctor or anything, but thought it would have been reasonable if Fields was maybe a little bit rusty throwing the football with that right thumb injury. Looked great out there. I mean, that strike through DJ Moore for the 40-yard touchdown. Absolutely B-E-A, beautiful. Probably could have had another one earlier in the game. It was honestly a very similar play overall. Could have, have, should had a 44-yard score again to DJ, but just overthrew it. Saw Fields give that pat on the chest afterwards, so you know it was a sheesh in that case. But again, great stuff throwing from Fields, didn't look all that rusty at all, and he tied the career high with 18 carries, plenty of them of the design, you know, just manner, and we saw what we saw for most of last year. Middling passing production with Rockstar-level rushing usage, and the result was likely another QB1 finish. So seeing this from Justin Fields, you know, we were already starting him regardless, but Seriously, guys, very much still locked in as one of the best QBs fantasy football has to offer. And yeah, last three full games now, 28.9, 33. And today, 21.2 fantasy points. Not too shabby only other note here we did have the return of Khalil Herbert now he did come back first game so sometimes we do see guys you know ease back into action I believe he was limited to start the week even though he finished with the full practices and he led the backfield 44% snaps 38% routes that said Roshan was right behind him at 32% and 24% even Deontay Foreman was taking a quarter of the snaps and routes alike and that was with Foreman unfortunately seemingly re-aggravating that ankle issue so he was playing the pain early looked good was able to score a touchdown out there I mean this clearly wasn't going to be handed back over to Khalil Herbert so keep an eye again on Foreman with the Bears I actually don't think we're yeah it's Lions Packers on Thanksgiving so I guess the Bears are going to have all the way until Monday to get healthy I would probably expect Foreman to be okay but plenty of time to figure that one out and yeah Bears Vikings How of a time to be alive By the way, appreciate you guys in the chat, hanging out. We are indeed riding solo. Talk about a freaking great day to be great. So over under one hour, 27, man. We've, uh, we've been in these streets before, guys, doing a solo. I remember going like two and a half hours in like a closet at PFF because we only had one studio at that point in time. So, yeah, you know, only one way to uh, actually go find out with that. So as we continue moving right along, everyone, the Packers took down the Chargers 23 to 20. Green Bay did obviously cover now as three point dogs the undercash just barely at 44 i feel bad for anyone out there in the parlay over under streets because there were so many of these decided by literally one point or less so jordan love Another nice game. And I'm not going to shut up about it, guys. He is improving. And I know it's weird that we have a quarterback who is in his fourth season. But, man, how much was really going on in terms of just working behind Aaron Rodgers? We really think Rodgers was, you know, spending all these extra hours after practice just making sure Jordan Love was, you know, developing at the right pace. So, again, it's weird that the easy stuff hasn't come to Jordan Love as fast as one to two. But end the days, guys three straight of his best PFF passing grades of the season, two of his best three games in adjusted completion rate. And finally today, it just seemed like he was able to hit some of those easier throws. So a lot of them were going to Jaden Reed, Caught three pa- or four passes for 46 yards, also had three carries for 46 yards and a nice touchdown. And because Jaden Reed scored a rushing touchdown, we are all now legally obligated to call him Debo Samuel. So in all seriousness, guys, Shout out Matt Harmon over at, uh, you know, Yahoo and just everything he does with reception perception. But I saw him shout out earlier this week, you know, Jaden Reed deserves the opportunity to be the feature target in this Packers offense. And at this point, it's hard to disagree guys, like just looking at passer rating when targeted. And I know passer rating isn't the end all be all stat, but at the end of the day, it's an accumulative metric to help measure passing yards, touchdowns and interceptions when you're targeting someone. So, you know, I'm not completely useless. And with that in mind, When Jordan Love targets Jaden Reed, 116.9 passer rating. When he goes to Dontavian Wicks, 107.6. Romeo Dobbs, 97.2. Those are all three really good, okay? When he throws to Christian Watson, it's all the way down there at 45.5, man. Brutal. And it's been that way throughout the season. So, yes, we did get the short Christian Watson touchdown, but man, if you're going to tell me that in week 11, Christian Watson was the seventh most productive receiver on the Packers in terms of receiving yards, guys, just rough to see out there. So, I will say when Watson scored the touchdown, it looked like, you know, the weight of the world was lifted off his shoulders, just so happy out there. And to be fair, that same kind of phenomenon happened last year when he preceded the the ball the hell out. So, end of the day, the fact that Jordan Love and this passing game were improving is good for Christian Watson. But at this point, guys, I mean, Watson. Dobbs and Reed, they're all running like the same amount of routes out there. So it's not like we're even getting a benefit of usage behind Watson. I for one am ready to move Jaden Reed officially over Christian Watson in these ranks. We're playing fantasy football in 2023. We now have 11 freaking weeks of sample size telling us that Reed is a superior receiver and we're getting the extra rushing uses on top of it. Hey, Romeo Dobbs out there doing his thing as well. Already have these guys ranked very close to each other, but yeah, Jaden Reed shaping up potentially as you know, the next late, great uh, second half rookie breakout. Speaking of Romeo Dobbs, nice game-winning touchdown. And honestly, guys, he's now racked up seven this season. Only players that can attest to that, Tyreek Hill, Jordan Addison, Cortland Sutton, another great one later, by the way, Stephon Diggs, Mike Evans, Keenan Allen, and of course, Romeo Dobbs. So shout out to Dobbs I'm really just surpassing expectations ever since week one and looking a hell of a lot more like that number one wide receiver in Green Bay than Watson has this year. I am done shitting on Christian Watson. Sorry for all you truthers out there. God, I go one podcast without Jordan. Dwayne just can't stop going off on his guy, Watson. So sorry if you are listening, Dwayne. But yeah, um, sadly, the other big note here in Green Bay comes down to an injury to Aaron Jones and also RB3 Emmanuel Wilson. First, Jones suffered a really bad-looking knee injury, was in tear... He wasn't in tears. That was Joey Bosa. More on that in a minute. A lot of injuries in this one, but looked really bad. But luckily, head coach Matt LaFleur did say it's maybe not long-term. Specific quote, I don't think it's long-term. He's in good spirits." So, you know, not exactly a doctor telling us about the test results, although I'm sure Aaron Jones' x-rays are negative. I'm not sure if they took them, but just assume that they're negative here. But yeah, we'll see what happens. I understand earlier in the season when A.J. Dillon did get some run without Aaron Jones. It didn't go particularly well. But when you also take out number three RB Emmanuel Wilson I mean they might not have another choice but to really feature AJ Dillon so he did go out there and literally played every single snap for the running backs after both these guys were out 72% on the game and he is going to be one of those usage-based RB2s that are still pretty tough to keep out of more lineups than not should A-Aaron have to miss significant time any other stuff on the Packers here think we are good so yeah moving on over to your los angeles chargers disappointing loss and i know the chargers are now at four and six and we're just still going to have so many people out there that simply hold that record over justin herbert's head but i don't know guys this was a really good game for him and i mean he actually showed more wiggle than we have all, all we've seen i should say all season long 73 rushing yards and he had this run up the middle where he was legit you know getting that uh uh-uh on the safety and making a miss you know making dudes miss in the open field what a concept to see out of some of these quarterbacks, but yeah, passing the ball wise back to back highest graded games of the season in terms of PFF. And I know those aren't the be all end all guys, but again, when you do see big discrepancies in the metric after let's face it was a really rough stretch for Herbert. I know he came into the season like a, you know, just train on fire or whatever, freaking ridiculous. uh synonym I want to use there, but really had a rough stretch there from week three, like to week nine or so. Like we only saw that one good prime time again, prime time, game against the Bears and even Keenan Allen was having a relatively slow stretch so not anymore Herbert's out there killing it and again getting that extra rushing upside goes to show you why Justin Herbert one of just five QBs in NFL history averaging north of 20 fantasy points per game so good stuff there from Herbert even in the losing effort because again if you watch this game like there's just no way you can put this loss on Justin Herbert I'm sure a certain uh you know commentator will try to do so tomorrow but yeah end of the game guys like he threw an absolute hurl to Quentin Johnson that should have at least been good for 40 yards and put them in field goal range for a game tying field goal what happened was Quentin Johnson dropped it and we never even got to see if he would have had the opportunity to potentially stay in bounds and turn into a game winning 70 yard house call so look Quentin's already had a hard enough time just making you know somewhat moderately contested catches this actually hit him right in the hands and again absolutely brutal drop one of the worst ones on the day so also had stone smart drop a touchdown. That's right. Something named stone smart could have had two touchdowns today. Wasn't meant to be. And my God, man, the Keenan Allen eight yard touchdown drop. Like I know I complain about players not wearing tinted visors. Cause you know, I think we'd have, have a better world if we all wore tinted visors out there, but literally the ball hits Keenan Allen in the chest, like face area. And he just didn't see it because of the sun. It's irresponsible. You are hurting your team by not wearing a tinted visor, Keenan Allen. My God, that would look swaggy. He's already got the baggy long sleeves. Come on, man. Make it happen. I do reject the idea that Keenan dropped two touchdowns out there, the earlier one in the first half. Would have set them up at the one-yard line. Would have been a first down and probably would have resulted in another team touchdown. I don't think that Keenan Allen fantasy managers need to be stressing over two touchdown drops. But guess what? Shouldn't be stressing too much anyway because he came out in the second half, did fantastic, and finished the game with 10. Receptions, 116 yards, and a touchdown. Pretty good for a guy that, again, was making fantasy managers tear their freaking hair out in the first half. Let's see. No Jalen Guyton or Gerald Everett out there. Accordingly, it was Keenan, Quentin Johnson, and Alex Erickson, the ex Bengal and actually brother of fantasy analyst Andrew Erickson. I made that up. That would be funny, though. Uh, they were out there as the three full time wide receivers. Also, note that Donald Parham, although he did not get the scoring opportunities that one Stone Smart did, did end up getting six targets and had an elite for Los Angeles 68% route rate. So, Look, Gerald Everett's not an IR or anything. I don't think there's too much reason to believe that he's going to be missing, you know, ample time. But I think the bigger story is one of Everett, or maybe just Parham Sticks here, like they are so thin on wide receivers at this point that I think finally you might be able to rely a bit more on these Chargers tight ends. So keep an eye on Gerald Everett, because if not, guys, is going to be someone that might be a nice little, you know, sneaky post-hype bounce back, even though, hey, going out there, 10.7 PPR points, not too shabby at all. Business as usual for the Chargers RBs. But, man, do you guys see that Austin Eckler run around left end where he gained, like, 37 yards? But must have been the slowest 37 yards ever. I mean, it was honestly like that play of David Johnson from, like, five years ago when we just knew he was washed, looked like he was running with the piano on his back. But, like, imagine that play if there was, like, no defender between David Johnson and, like, 35 yards upfield. It was bad. Uh, I initially saw it, you know, shout out Hayden Winks, underdog fantasy, just joking, like, I haven't even adjusted the speed on this uh, video. And that's what Eckler was out there doing. So yeah, on the year, averaging now fewer yards per carry than Tony Pollard, Joe Mixon, Najee Harris, Travis Etienne, and Alvin Kamara. So yeah, guess what? I realized I said guys like Travis Etienne, like Alvin Kamara, and we don't care about their yards per carry. And we also don't care about Eckler's because he still did go out there, made plenty of guys miss Let's face it, Eckler's not known as this 4 2, 40 yard dash guy in the first place. Just unfortunately, couldn't find the end zone today and didn't rack up the bunches of targets like we're used to seeing. Still going to be someone that we're going to be ranking as a top two running back. So, no reason for major concern. But man, I even checked the injury report, guys. Nothing on there. Just weird to see uh, that sort of level of lack of explosion from Austin Eckler. But yeah, I think that's about it here, fellas. No Dwayne today. Yeah, no Dwayne. He'll be back uh, next week just uh, rolling with your boy, Ian. But I do have all or at least most of the handy-dandy utilization goodness. But, yeah, guys, any specific uh, questions, hanging out, feel free to let me know now more than ever because, you know, it is a great day to be great after all. And, yeah, all right, moving right along, we had the Dolphins take down the Raiders, 22-13. Yeah, not exactly the shootout some of us are hoping for, but still a W for the Dolphins. Maybe not over a team with a winning record, but, hey, they were at least 5-5 five and five going into this one. So, Raiders did cover at 14. Good teams win, great teams cover. So, step it up Miami in the under-dig cash here at 44 and a half. So, you know, it says a lot about this Mike McDaniel and just, you know, Dolphins offense in general, that Tua can throw for 325 yards and two touchdowns. Touchdowns. and it just feels like kind of underwhelming out there, to be honest, and probably more so the 20 total points than anything. But, you know, Dolphins, they went 3-for-11 on third down. They didn't convert their only fourth down, ended up losing two fumbles, and we had, you know, one bad interception by Tua trying to hook up with Jalen Waddle deep downfield. Just wasn't quite meant to be. So, yeah, really the only guy that made you overly happy uh, in Fantasyland this week was, of course, Tyreek Hill, buck 46, and a tud, and now, guys, he is on pace for 134 catches catches. catches 2,075 yards and 15 receiving touchdowns where's Tyreek for MVP chatter I feel like there's been more Christian McCaffrey for MVP chatter then it's gone to Brock Purdy and now it's kind of going to Tua but for Tyreek like has there been any player week in and week out this year just be this exceptional I keep waiting on the guy to slow down or I mean, I guess he's not going to slow down, but at least defenses to find a way to not allow the dude to be pacing for over 2000 freaking yards in a season. And it's just not happening. So you can say that he's benefiting from the system. I would argue that Tyreek kill is the system in Miami, even more so than to Tagovailoa. I mean, I'm not sure if the Vegas spreads would reflect this, but guys, I think it's a real conversation. Like who's more meaningful this offense? If you take Tua out and you put Mike White in, if you take Tyreek out and put Braxton Berrios in or whoever for him, I don't know. I think it's worth a conversation. And when there's no quarterback really standing out week after week, I mean, if you just want to give it to Patrick Mahomes and say he's the best player in the league, that's fine. But it feels really weird to me when I look up the MVP odds and Tyreek's at like plus 5,000 and Tua's getting that far ahead. So, you know, back to fantasy, but just want to give my two cents there with the Tyreek uh, conversation. Cause just haven't uh, seen enough of it, or maybe I'm not, you know, watching enough talking head real quote unquote NFL media, not a bad thing there, but sadly uh, we did get some injuries here to the high octane offense. Tyreek briefly hurt his hand. He did end up coming back and returning though, So no immediate issues, but if you see him limited on the practice report, that is why the bad one was Devin A-chain. Just a couple snaps into the game guys got two touches and then sadly went to the sideline, went to their locker room and was later ruled out with a knee injury. So doesn't seem like it's going to keep him out for the rest of the season or anything. Mike McDaniel said after the game, they got positive feedback from the trainer on his status. They just wanted to be careful because because it was the same knee injury he heard previously actual quote he kind of got landed on and it was a little painful he was politicking trying to come back in the game but i was a little worried with the rust so apparently a feeling fine but you know we do live in a society where aaron jones said he could have come back in week one and proceeded to miss the next month of action so i'm sure a chan did want to come back in he's a competitor he had all the adrenaline flowing let's wait and see what happens here but Yeah, in his absence, guys, Raheem Mostert absolutely force-fed the football. 78% snap rate, 22 carries, and one target out there. Salvin Ahmed did catch a touchdown because, of course, you got to feed Salvin Ahmed screens inside the 10-yard line. Hey, it worked kudos. I'm just, you know, bitter because I wanted more points for Jalen Waddle. That's what fantasy football here is for everyone. So I want to look up the Dolphins inactives real quick because I was confused why Jeff Wilson just kind of disappeared from planet Earth. He was, in fact, a healthy scratch out here. So don't think he's been dealing with an injury recently, but yeah, you know, if we do see a future week come up, Jeff Wilson is active, and then we also see again, A-Chan dealing with this might be a good sign that maybe that 4 go roll isn't going to be here, but he got the start. I do think HM was in line to, you know, get those 12 to 15 touches we were hoping for just sadly wasn't meant to be. So obviously one of the bigger injuries to monitor. If he does miss time though, I think it's going to more so just be the most dirt show than any one of these backups really, you know, picking up a ton of extra work. Over on the Raider side of things, Devontae Adams, 82 yards and a touchdown on a very nice deep throw from Aiden O'Connell. Saw that one early, and I was hoping we could build on it a little bit. Not really, though. Ended up throwing three picks during the rest of the game. Took a couple sacks and ultimately couldn't move the offense all that well. So we've now had three weeks of the Aiden O'Connell, you know, post-Josh McDaniels experience, and it got them two wins. But, you know, let's remember Giants, Jets, and now Dolphins. I don't think we can take too much away from those first two victories, at least in terms of expecting upside in this offense from anyone other than Josh Jacobs and Devontae Adams. So I know that Jacobs' experience hit a low point. You know, we didn't get a bunch of volume out of him. Or actually, yeah, I mean, only 15 total touches, and we didn't have the, effic- the efficiency or the scoring opportunities. But just like someone like Joe Mixon, guys, too much volume to truly consider benching. You know, if you have some four-man league, and they are out there. I answer a few start sick questions every week, and they are some glorious rosters. So i not even trying to hate you guys, but again, just with the volume. volume. Volume on hand, similar thing with Tony Pollard, just really, really tough to ever put Jacobs near that bench, even after duds like this one. And yeah, with Devontae Adams, guys, like the big thing here is that Jacoby Myers, man, pretty much left for dead in this newfound Raiders offense because the targets over these last three weeks, Devontae Adams has 30. And there's Jacoby Myers all the way down there at 12. Michael Mayer, shout out, has 11, Trey Tucker, 10. But this is no longer 1A, 1B like it was with Jimmy G under center and Josh McDaniels pulling the strings. It is now Devontae Adams and everyone else. So keep that in mind. With Jacoby Myers, really going to be a wait and see and a probably never on Jacoby regaining that wide receiver two fancy relevance in 2023. We did get a little bit of Hunter Renfro production. He caught five passes, you know, hopefully helped out some of your last place best ball squads out there. I'm talking to myself too, guys. Take it easy you know, not trying to be personal in here, but actually did not see, you know, a big change in role, was still very much working side by side. Trey Tucker get Michael Mayer hitting that 70% route rate that we like to see at tight end. That was fun. But yeah, only other note here is that the Devontae Adams performance could have been even bigger. 111 unrealized air yards in week 11, second most on the week. Browns took down the Steelers third, to 10. That's right. The over under of 34 and a half lowest one in a freaking decade still was not low enough. And the Browns did indeed cover by two and a half points. So Dorian Thompson Robinson gang stand up guys, you know, try to give him a little credit here for again, that first game against the Ravens coming with no preparation found out freaking in pregame warmups. Watson wasn't good enough to go and yeah, I get it. 13 total points here. What do you throw for, you know, 165 yards, no touchdowns, not exactly, you know, the sort of performance to be freaking out about. But we did see the Browns this week, guys, drop seven times, seven different targets. No team had actually more registered drops this week per PFF. And, you know, DTR showed up when it mattered. Eight-play, 48-yard drive to set up the game-winning field goal. Could have had those better numbers. Uh, David Njoku actually dropped a short six-yard touchdown touchdown. 15 freaking targets on the game though guys they were not afraid to feed Njoku because at this point he really is their best yak player as well so look is he going to get 15 targets each and every week no but he is con- going to continue to be in that conversation with guys like Cole Komet around the tight end when borderline because we know that they actually have some talent in there and we do know that they are also seldom leaving the field in these not great passing games but again beggars can't be choosers if you're a tight end that's on the field all the time you're good at football Football, and you're in a good offense, you're going to be ranking the top eight and you're already going to be on the vast majority. Or you're already going to be rostered, you know, in all these leagues. Guys like Njoku, guys like Comet, still rostered plenty, but again, we will see these usage spikes here from time to time. Brown signed Joe Flacco, the practice squad. That's something that popped up after the game. They must have really, uh, you know, just remembered that, Elf unveiling in the middle of the field and Flacco throwing four touchdowns against them in that throwing comeback last season. That's the last thing I remember about Joe Flacco. Really hope that he's not going to come in and just take this job from DTR after this one. I would think more than anything, just because let's face it, DTR, PJ Walker, someone that's, you know, been jumping around the league a bit as well. Maybe Joe Cool's just in there to, hey, calm things down and, by the way, I am sorry to anyone that I offended for calling Joe Flacco, Joe Cool. I know that's Montana. We'll stick with Ms. Mr. Elite over here. So last couple notes here on the Browns. It was a bit more of a split backfield in terms of the usage. We saw Hunt and Ford each finish with exactly 12 carries. But in terms of just the snaps going on, still was Ford leading the way 51% to 42% with a slight edge in the route. So probably can be, you know, just moving those splits between the two closer and the ranks and everything. Both probably deserve to be on that RB2 borderline more weeks than not. But Pierre Strong Jr. does remain almost fully out of the picture. And again, we can live with two RB committees in the year 2023. That's when I guess the three or four that things get far more complicated. Mentioned the Joku drop touchdown, and I think that is about it otherwise in Cleveland. Cool. Yeah. Otherwise, a shout out to Miles Garrett and company. And no, I'm not talking about the viral video, although, you know, kudos, I guess, there as well. But yeah, Browns defense, best group in the league in terms of EPA allowed per play, league low passer rating allowed, and league low rushing yards before contact per carry. Yeah, I'm happy I'm not an NFL offensive coordinator. Good freaking luck trying to move the group against arguably the league's single best defense. Over in Pittsburgh, Kenny Pickett. When you include the sack yardage against passing yardage, which is the way it should be, with all due respect to NCAA football scoring, Kenny Pickett totaled 77 yards on 31 dropbacks. That happened. Kenny Pickett now, with one career game with multiple touchdowns, has fewer career games with multiple touchdowns than Tommy DeVito. The fewest yards per attempt in the NFL this year go to Kenny Pickett, Zach Wilson, Joshua Dobbs t Daniel Jones, and Bryce Young. I'm not going to say anything mean about Kenny Pickett. I'm just going to bring up those facts. Jalen Warren, though, absolute baller, 74-yard house call. And honestly, guys, is he the best running back in the NFL? Probably not, but he is number one in almost every stat that matters. Yards per attempt, first among 50 qualified running backs. 6.2 missed tackles, force per carry. Number one, and it is on pace to break Javante freaking Williams and Marshawn Lynch's single-season record explosive runs per attempt of 10 plus yards number one yards after contact per attempt number one again there was a time this season where Najee was the one that was actually being more explosive and he was looking like just maybe not the better back but looking just fine with Jalen there wasn't a reason to be benching Najee for Jalen Warren those times have passed Jalen Warren is now not just looking like the best running back in Pittsburgh but again looking like one of the very best running backs in football so this should, should honestly be we, ne- we could never have this rational conversation in Dallas. I don't expect him to be rational in Pittsburgh because we just want either or. But it's not anything about Najee. Just like Zeke wasn't a terrible running back over the last couple of years, it's that Najee was a first-round pick, so the expectations are out of whack. And his backup, Jalen Warren, just like Zeke's backup, Tony Pollard, isn't just putting up better numbers in the starter. They're putting up better numbers than almost any other running back in football. So shout out to Jalen Warren continuing to make all, the absolute most out of his touches. I'm expecting him to do the same. Sadly, am I expecting him to all of a sudden take over the backfield 90% to 10%? No. And we actually did see Najee lead the way this week, 58% to 44%. So yeah, guys, one of these things that should have changed, maybe a little bit. Should we really expect Matt Canada and company to do so? That's going to be a no only other things here, it was the first game back for Pat fryermuth coming back from IR, and we did not see anything resembling a full-time role. Just 42% of the routes, Darnell Washington and Connor Hayward actually combined to run more routes than Pat Fryermuth. So hey, you know, you're just brutal, a tight end. You see fryermuth on the waivers. You want to hold him and stash? Yeah, that's fine. Cannot even think about starting him, though, as a top 12, even top 15 option for at least another week until we see again that you get back to normal. Um, tough one for Deontay Johnson you know George Pickens ended up getting four catches out there but just two for Deontay that said team high eight targets and 99 unrealized air yards third most on the week so I know everyone out there in your points per volume points per target points per unrealized air yard leagues Deontay continuing to kill it but yeah back-to-back duds Really thought after the first three games of him coming back from the injury, you know, he was the freaking like wide receiver six overall. But as we were seeing in the Kenny Pickett experience, we cannot have good things. And sadly, Deontay Johnson, nothing more than a volume-induced wide receiver freaking three at this point. Remember when we watched Big Ben in 2021? We said it can't get worse. It's gotten worse. It's gotten worse, guys. Giants took down the Commanders 31-19. to You hear me? The Giants beat the Commanders? What are we freaking doing? Sorry, Matthew Berry. Sorry, Washington fans. Sorry to anyone that wanted a warm shower in Washington because I guess they didn't have that going on at their stadium. So that sucks. But kudos to Giants betters. They did obviously cover as eight and a half point dogs in the overdid cashier at 39. So yeah, Tommy DeVito actually went out there and did some good things. I'm sure it's, you know, easier when you do got mom making you your great meals coming home and everything. But, you know, three touchdowns out there. Yeah, the Darius Slayton one was blown cover. Coverage. Yeah, Saquon was pretty open on him, but there was that first drive, guys, where he threw a nice wheel route to Saquon. Even had like an extended play before that. That again just featured a pretty nice pass. So want to try to give Devito at least a little bit of love there because you know winners write the history books. And congrats to the guy for getting a freaking win in the NFL and for throwing three touchdowns again. I gave the Penny, Kenny Pick a stat earlier, but that is awesome for uh, Devito, and he has now won NFL game. Here's the problem: nine sacks, guys. This is a Washington defense that wasn't good at getting after the quarterback even before they traded Chase Young and Montez Sweat out here. So, taking nine sacks, when you see numbers like this, is a pretty good indication that it's not all on the offensive line. And boy, is that true here. So, as much as you might, might want to curse, you know, the Giants O line, which has been ridiculously banged up all year, but actually is getting healthier, I mean, this is far and away, way more on DeVito. I did not get a chance to watch, you know, every single play in this game or anything, guys. But just when you look at it on the season now, stat, I tried to use honestly to show that Sam Howell, a lot of the sacks that he's taken throughout the season are more so on him and not the offensive line. You just look at all the pressure dropbacks that quarterbacks have and you see how many of them were converted into sacks. And on the season, Tommy DeVito has allowed a league high 45% of his pressures to turn to sacks. The second worst quarterback is Daniel Jones at 32%. 45 and 32 percent. My goodness, like after that, guys, we're talking about Sam Howell being in fifth place all the way at 26 percent. So, I don't know if it's the QB coach in New York. Again, the O-line isn't helping. I understand that, but certainly more than just a problem of the guys up front. Please get rid of the football. Brian Dable, after the game, was asked, how much did DeVito grow in this performance? And Dable responded, he is the same height. So, funny Brian Dable kudos to you and yeah kudos again to the Giants on getting that dub Saquon did catch the two touchdowns and ended up breaking off some nice runs after having some negative yards there for quite a while elite 91% snap rate love to see that and yeah Juan Dale Robinson actually had an 83% route rate for interest in those kind of things in New York I'm really not so yeah let's go ahead and move on now to your Washington commanders who yeah you lose to the Giants could be tough to say too many things about the squad Sam how Not one, not two, not three picks and four sacks to go along with the performance. So, hey, we did have, you know, Logan Thomas, Byron Pringle, and Chris Rodriguez all lose fumbles out there. But certainly wasn't Hal's best performance, I think we could all agree on, culminating with that pick six by Isaiah Simmons. So, yeah, man, it's been a great year overall for Hal, just expectations. You know, we've cited his passing yards and passing touchdowns pace a lot this year. And he still does stand, I believe, as uh, the overhaul QB1 in terms of passing yards. Because Washington still hasn't had a buy. So that's fun. I just think this could end horrifically down the stretch, guys, because he's going to get the Cowboys on Thanksgiving. After the Cowboys, we get a Dolphins defense that is now looking worlds better with healthy Jalen Ramsey and Xavier Howard out there. Then they have a bye week. Shocker. Can't score fantasy points on your bye week. And to end the fantasy season, guys, Rams, Jets, and 49ers. We're talking about one game against the Rams for the rest of the season that we even kind of feel good. And I mean, I don't love Aaron Donald against Sam Howell. I don't feel good about that. I just don't completely hate my life about it. So yeah, guys, Cowboys, Dolphins, Jets, and Niners with a bye over the course of these next six weeks. Hey, Sam Howell, someone that's you know been able to kind of have that borderline QB1 production probably would have been a really good week to trade him this week, honestly, in hindsight uh, if you had had the chance to. So, yeah, you know I did get some questions before the game. I think there's like a Trevor Lawrence versus Sam Howell versus Kyla Murray. I It was fun because I had the exact same predicament in one of my 10-man leagues, my only 10-man league, you know, hand up. But just on this, again, with this end-of-season schedule, really not looking good for Howell and, accordingly, the entire passing game. I want to Note that uh, Curtis Samuel got ejected because Sam Howe had a pretty cool uh, one-yard touchdown run, but a lot of pushing and shoving, and Curtis was out there sticking up for right. his guy. So when he did get ejected, we did see Jameson Crowder, Byron Pringle, and Diamond Brown all end up pretty much evenly splitting that work. And, uh, you know, just Terry McLaurin, uh, Jahan Dawson, Logan Thomas, usual roles out there. So only other big story here was Brian Robinson. Like, this is the sort of... Fancy friendly floor every down backs give us. Cause without Antonio Gibson here. 78% route rate for Brian Robinson guys and that's new I mean last year we had one game where it was Antonio Gibson out at the end of the year and we almost didn't even see Robinson's role change all that much they had uh, I'm trying to remember the freaking dudes name out here I'm looking it up right now but yeah basically in that week 17 game even though Robinson was still getting you know 20 plus touches actually only ended up playing 52% of the snaps because I think it was Jarrett Patterson yeah there we go Jarrett Patterson was out there also getting some run on the ground and by Jarrett Patterson I'm mean, Jonathan Williams so disregard that regardless no Jonathan Williams no Jared Patterson all we have was Chris Rodriguez and Derek Gore combining for a measly nine combined carries and targets with eight of those being carries meaning we finally got Robinson soaking up all the fancy friendly pass down work that has surprisingly really been on display more so in w- recent weeks in Washington I think a big reason why Sam Howell has gotten the sacks to go down is because he's gotten both of these running backs in Gibson when healthy and Robinson more involved in the pass game i'm not talking peanuts guys either a little bit inflated again washington's played another game i'm not trying to you know bamboozle you guys here but just on the season now christian mccaffrey Alvin Kamara and Rashad White. Those are the only running backs with more PPR points than Robinson from purely receiving production. So, yeah, he went out there today, and normally we would get these 17 carries for 73 yards and no touchdowns, be pissed off, and, you know, just have to live with that as a home favorite against the Giants. Like, this ended up going from what probably should have been best-case positive game script for Robinson to being horrible in a situation where he wouldn't have been on the field in most weeks, but because there was no Gibson, he ends up catching seven checkdowns for 58 yards and saving the day in full PPR scoring. So great stuff there for Robinson. And again, anytime Gibson is going to miss time now, knowing that Robinson has this three-down role on his plate, we are not going to rank him in the top 10. We're going to rank him in the top six because you are not going to find many roles better than what Robinson has right now. And again, 78% snaps, 67% routes. That is absolutely elite, everyone. i like to take us a moment to thank our sponsors, Liquid IV. Nah, I wish they were a sponsor. I love this ship though. Makes me feel like I'm hydrated and science might show that uh, if you drink liquid IV, you can drink more alcohol and not hurt yourself. So, a little fun fact for it. Cowboys took down the Panthers 33-10. That was covered as 11.5-point favorites. The undercashed at 43.5. Again, some of these over-unders were so close, guys. So going into this game, uh, Jay Glazer said Panthers head coach Frank Reich was on, quote-unquote, the hottest seat in the league, which I thought was uh, pretty comical there. And leaving it, the Panthers rank on, um, what's that, dead last in uh, yards per play at 4.1. They join the Patriots, Giants, and Jets as bottom four offenses in EPA per play play. So yeah, guys, uh pretty freaking terrible in Carolina. I mean, I wanted to start with the Cowboys. We always start with the winners, but I can just be so quick here. Adam Thielen, fantastic man. Caught eight passes. I I'm not even sure if like Bryce Young at this point looks anywhere else. There was like a fourth and three conversion to Thielen where he was actively double covered and didn't matter. Still completed it. I mean kudos to Bryce, you know, good throw and everything. But yeah, Adam Thielen just it's his world. We're all living in it. Shout out to Dwayne for recommending you guys trade for Thielen and DeAndre Hopkins earlier this week. Both end up having pretty nice games. Uh sadly, it is only Adam Thielen now because Chuba Hubbard and Miles Sanders are back to splitting everything. It was Chuba at 49% snaps, 41% routes, Miles at 46% snaps and 35% routes. Earlier in the season, I would have complained, but over the last month, and you know, ever since Miles came back from that, you know, short injury layoff, he's actually probably been the more efficient back out. A minimum it hasn't been that landslide in favor of chuba so let's face it neither of them have been overly good over the past five weeks if you guys watch the carolina panthers try to move the ball on offense so at the end of the day we don't have either of these guys we can trust at the moment as a volume-based rb2 it's honestly set like even though the browns offense isn't this is pretty much jerome ford and kareem hunt but neither of them are playing as well as jerome ford and kareem hunt and i actually sadly trust the dtr led browns to score more points than the Bryce Young-led Panthers. I know this was a tough matchup, but, man, crazy to have that sentence come out of my mouth, and I think it actually could somewhat be true there. So, yeah, Adam Thielen, and that's it. Shout out Tommy Trembles. Tommy Trembles, touchdown, 70% route rate with Hayden Hurst out of the picture. Not so sure uh, Hayden Hurst is going to miss much time. Would you, you know start Tommy Trembles again anyway? No, but I did start him in one lineup at the Stone Cold 2,500 on DraftKings, so feeling good about that. Over to the winners in this one, the Cowboys. Guys, oh my goodness. I'll freaking pour one out. Yeah, I'm not going to pour one out. I like my floor, but, you know, you can imagine. Tony Pollard scored a touchdown. First time since week one. It's possible. Great day to be great, Tony Pollard. And, oh my God, what a run. Absolutely truck stick the dude at the six-yard line and carried a couple more defenders into the end zone to go ahead and get that score. So, I will say this. I want credit if I'm right. This is, again, now Monday morning at... 12, 12 a.m. Eastern time. I think Tony Pollard gets one of those bullshit Saturday fines for lowering his head on that touchdown run. They didn't call a penalty. They haven't called a penalty on any of these ridiculous fines, but Jalen Warren's gotten a couple of them, and they're just calling these RB fines now anytime they lower their helmet even a little bit, and Pollard did that on there. So, should he get it? No, but I think the NFL slides out across Saturday at 3 p.m., and people get big mad online. So, yeah, 18 PPR points for Pollard out here. Only had 6.5, 9.3, and 5.5 before the buy. So, I know it's 18. It's not a 35-point week winning effort, but we'll take it, guys. you know, we'll freaking take it after what we've been through. And it did come on a 65% snap rate, 60% route rate in a game that, again, was well over by the time, you know, the early parts of the fourth quarter were coming along. So Carolina kept it close-ish. It was, you know, 17-10 going into the fourth. But then the Cowboys took over in a hurry with that touchdown and cornerback Deron Bland's fourth pick six on the season. So incredible performance from Bland and a big reason why this Cowboys defense has been able to keep on keeping on so well without Trayvon Diggs in action. Uh, Yeah, final note here on Pollard. Again, five targets in this one and caught four of them post by guys combined before this one only had four catches on six targets. So that was really the problem with Paul these last few weeks. He wasn't catching passes and he wasn't getting the touchdowns. When you start adding those things to his plate, lo and behold, you get the RB1 that we always thought we had. Shout out Dak Prescott since that infamous 49ers disaster on Sunday Night Football, guys. He is fourth in the NFL in yards per attempt, fourth in the completion rate, and a league-best 118.7 passer rating. So, again, passer rating is a better stat for the overall offense instead of one particular player. But guess what that tells you? The Cowboys passing game since that 49ers game has looked a hell of a lot and statistically been one of the single best passing attacks in football. And that's why CeeDee Lamb can continue going bonkers. Brandon Cooks can have blow-up weeks like last one. Even guys like Michael Gallup, Jake Ferguson, the complimentary options along can have more big weeks than not. So, hey, didn't exactly ask Dak Prescott to go crazy in this one. That's why we didn't have the big-time passing performances, but still far more big days should be ahead for this group. Final note, uh, annoying for any of my fellow Jake Ferguson fantasy managers out there. I was 100% convinced that was him catching that touchdown down the seam. But nope, the Cowboys have like six white tight ends all wearing numbers in the 80s. And it was, in fact, rookie Luke Schoonmaker out there. So credit to the Michigan rookie on the touchdown. That team up north, rookie, my bad. Let it slip. Can't be using that word this week. Shout out Buckeyes. I live in Columbus. Give me a break, everyone. But yeah, either way. Jake Ferguson still very much in that full-time role. I mean his route rate is elite at this point, everyone. Also obviously seeing the usual business with CD and uh Brandon Cooks. Just are seeing Michael Gallup and Jalen Tolbert rotating as that number 3. So still tough to get on anyone behind uh CD and Cooks out there think that is about it cd did draw a 28 yard defensive pass interference penalty so that does help explain why his performance was just a little bit below normal but you know what guys science and studies show that you cannot gain 150 receiving yards every single week you go to work Jaguars took down the Titans 34 to 14, covering a six and a half point favorites in the overcast here with a little bit of ease at 40 points. So Trevor Lawrence, you know, finally had the sort of bounce back game and just massive performance. Let's face it, as fantasy managers were hoping for. I mean, 262 and two touch through the air, but he added the two rushing touchdowns and just looked athletic. I mean, I still have nightmares of this dude in that Clemson jersey going through the heart of that Ohio State defense. T. Higgins fumbled it back in 2019, by the way. It happened. It happened, you know. But anyway, I mean, Lawrence has always had this capability, and it's one of these things where guys like Lawrence, guys like Justin Herbert, I mean, no, they're not going to run for, you know, six, 700 yards per year. We can't all be Joshua Dobbs out here, everybody. Come on. But with Lawrence, with Herbert, I mean, and with Joe Burrow, honestly, before the injury, like when you could just start getting that potential for a touchdown here, a touchdown there, 20, 30 yards a game, just helps so much overcome, you know, the less than incredible passing points performance so great stuff from Lawrence this wasn't one of the games on my quad box you know maybe could have been at the NFL would freaking never ever give us only three late afternoon games again but so be it so yeah overall just a really good really good game the Jaguars should have killed the Titans in and they did so kudos there Calvin Ridley. We are so back. I mean, you know, kind of back. It was good to see a good game for him. Let's just go with that. 103 yards and two touchdowns. Look pretty good doing it. Of course, whenever you want your wide receiver to break out, the Titans are going to be one of the best defenses you could ask for them to play. But this is, again, what good passing games should do to bad passing defenses. Absolutely exploit them. So great stuff from Ridley. He was coming into this game, guys, as the wide receiver, 48 in PPR points per game. So at least he will now fe- seemingly be knocking On the wide receiver three door. Oh my gosh, can't wait. But yeah, overall on the season, still very much stuck in a 1A, 1B, 1C situation because Christian Kirk has 72 targets on the year, Evan Ingram, 71. And right there with a nice 69 is Calvin Ridley. So, fun fact Evan Ingram, 71 targets without a touchdown, the most in the NFL. That sucks, bro. But the regression gods would say that the man is a bit overdue. Business as usual for Travis, ETN 65% snaps in a blowout. Did see, you know, a little bit more DeAndre Johnson, Tank Bigsby from a carry perspective, but again, more so due to game script than anything wrong with ETN. Just unfortunately couldn't find the end zone in this one. So better days ahead, but... Hey, realize, I mean, ETN this year, as great as he has been in fantasy, and that's all that matters at the end of the day. This isn't me trying to, you know, poke any holes in his profile. But I said it earlier, guys, like Najee and Mixon and Pollard and all these guys, like they're averaging more yards per carry than ETN. He's made a couple of nice plays in the passing game to help, you know, create those explosives. Had that nice sideline tutty against the Steelers a couple of weeks ago. But ETN has really been living on that volume. So again, really more thing, and this is blowout induced. I'll check tomorrow, kind of some of that fourth quarter uh, specific stuff here, but 65% snaps for ETN. I'm not worried about today because of the game script. But if we did see that, if we do see ETN go from this 80, 90% back to more of a 60, 65% guy down the stretch, you're still starting him, but it could take him out from being the freaking top five weekly starting option he is right now into more of that again, maybe borderline RB one that he was kind of drafted to be a few months ago. We did get Zay Jones back in this one. He came right back to his every down roll, 77% route rate. Luckily, though, like we saw in the preseason, Zay Jones' presence did nothing to hinder Christian Kirk because that was a storyline in the preseason. and Even coming into week one was Zay Jones taking Kirk's place in two wide receiver sets. Was not the case today. Kirk, team high, 89% route rate. Ridley was at 86%. This is a situation where I think Jamal Agnew was out of the picture. I know you're saying, Ian, why does Jamal – freaking Agnew matter in this, but you know, they care about him. Jamal Agnew matters because he matters in Jacksonville. And yeah, he was sidelined in this one. So maybe I would really like to think that Agnew is going to make a big impact on Christian Kirk, but this could be a thing similar to Houston, where we just haven't seen these four guys completely active and healthy together for quite some time. And it might just be a little less ideal than it looks on paper, but you know what Agnew didn't even practice this week. Probably already, you know, spent too much time going down that conspiracy. Let's just be happy that Kirk's still going to be a wide receiver two more weeks than not. Ridley's looking like a boomer bust wide receiver three. And Zay Jones should have bigger days ahead. If you're like me and some of these, again, just deeper, you know, 14 team leagues out there. And you do see Zay Jones sneaking around on a spare waiver wire. Don't hate the thought I'm buying him now before one of those bigger games comes. He did end up having a a really long DPI penalty on a sheesh as well. So would note that. Over with Tennessee. Now, Will Levis, guys... 20 team dropbacks in this one. So I saw some early on plays where like it just looked like Josh Allen and Walker and the Jaguars defensive linemen completely overwhelming what was going on in Tennessee. So maybe that ended up kind of changing up the game plan because this hasn't been that big of a run first offense with Levis under center. I mean, if you just look at some of his other performances, I mean, this was new to only see him throw the football 17 times. He went 29 and 39 and 39 over these past two weeks. So maybe... Mike Vrabel looked at it and said, you know, we've scored a total of 22 points with two losses and you've thrown the ball 39 times in each of the past two weeks. That is possible, but just kind of weird over here in Tennessee. So looking at their team stats, maybe they just couldn't really keep the ball. And yeah, more than anything. Just two for seven on third downs. A weird, weird, weird game for the Titans. Again, wasn't a game I had my eyes on. They did lose two fumbles out there. So, yeah, I just couldn't really keep the ball that long. Did get a nice little flea flicker touchdown on DeAndre Hopkins to help save the day there. And none other than defensive tackle Jeffrey Simmons got a touchdown at the end of the game. Even hit a little bit of a gritty for the trouble. Anyone else would get screamed at for hitting the gritty after a touchdown down like 34 to 14 in the fourth quarter. When you're a defensive lineman, man, dance your freaking ass off. You earned it, especially considering he absolutely hammered ETN on the goal line earlier in that one. So shout out Jeffrey Simmons, man. That was awesome. Final notes here. Yeah, it's just kind of tough for his Tennessee offense to get anyone more than Hopkins. We have him going out there. Nice bounce back performance here. He's continuing to dominate team target share. But again, just the volume and the fact that, I mean, on the season, third highest pressure rate allowed. And honestly, when you just look at Levis and Tannehill, it hasn't been that different at this point. Like, I agree. I think Levis has passed the eye test. He can move better, definitely than the banged up version of Tannehill, but Just on the season, just in 2023, Tannehill's at 7.1 yards per attempt. Levis is at 6.9. Levis has more big-time throws, also has more turnover-worthy plays. Both have the two highest average target depths in the NFL. So they're playing the position similarly. Makes sense. Same system, same coaches. And Levis right now is just, again, I think offering a wider range of at least upside, which, you know, at this case, at this point in time, Titans got to be pretty convinced Tannehill isn't the long-term answer. Maybe just maybe Levis can figure it out eventually. Bit of a dud for Derrick Henry, but same uses as normal. You can just hope that the big dog stays healthy, gets better and better as we get into winter. Texans took down the Cardinals 21-16. to That's right, the under hit on 48 and what was supposed to be a shootout of the week. Unfortunately, not a team could just really complete these drives. They're, move- they're both really moving the ball up and down the field for most of the afternoon. But when the Cardinals, you know, had one interception by Kyler and also lost a fumble and the Texans had not one, not two, but three interceptions by C.J. Stroud, it's going to be tough to put up any amount of copious points there. So, Stroud, only two interceptions coming in, and again, he did have the three today. I thought one of them was kind of tipped around and could have been caught by, I believe it was Tankdale, could have been Robert Woods before it was ultimately picked. I think it was Robert Woods. The other two picks were bad, though. So guess what? You know? Shoot or shoot. And that's exactly what C.J. Stroud said after the game. Steph Curry, don't ever stop shooting. I'm going to keep letting it fly. And please do, C.J. Stroud, because he still did throw for 336 yards on pace for 5,035 yards this year. Kudos to the absolute huge front runner for Rookie of the Year and someone who, again, not my MVP for this year right now, not yet, but certainly someone that has earned his way into that conversation. I mean, some of the throws he puts out there, that tutty a Tank Dell, oh, my goodness. Great route. Great route. Great catch and everything, but one hell of a throw as well. And the case for Stroud as MVP would just be how much he is making out of all these guys around him who are clearly good. Like Tank Dell is clearly an awesome wide receiver. And Nico Collins and even Noah Brown, like it's not like you're watching these guys make plays and they're just completely uncovered all the time. Kind of Noah Brown on some of those throwback post routes. Okay, point noted. But if you just look at yards per route run, guys, each of Tank Dell, Nico Collins, and Noah Brown are in the top 12 among 98 qualified wide receivers. So Stroud is enabling three of the most efficient wide receivers in the game, and that's not even including some of the greatness he's managed to get out of Dalton freaking Schultz so far this year. So Tank Dell, legit wide receiver one in FancyLand. land. I ranked him as my wide receiver 12 this week. Well, I have the fantasy life consensus. For those counting at home. But regardless, you have Tank Dell. You are starting him. Six most receiving yards over the last month. Four receiving touchdowns are tied with CD Lamb and DeAndre Hopkins for the most in the NFL. Great day to be great, Tank Dell. How could we ever doubt you just based on your size? So, going to be interesting as things go more and more, just if these undersized wide receivers can, you know, just keep. Keep, 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 keep keeping on, you know, how many times can I say, keep let's work on it guys. Can they keep doing this more so in the year 2023? Maybe I saw Brandon Powell and Sunday night football freaking putting who was it out there? Patrick Sertan drawing DPI's out there. Brandon Powell making these plays out here. So could be either way though. Tank though. We have a baller on our hands and continue to start him in lineups of all shapes and sizes. Well note Robert Woods almost had a 28-yard touchdown, better ball, might have stepped out of bounds before, but that was probably the only miss I saw from Stroud. So final note with this passing game, this is a really cool moment. Stroud got drilled on a sack. I am talking absolutely crunched, like the sort of play that you almost expect them to throw a flag, even though it was a perfectly legal hit. The hit was that big, misses one play, comes back in on third and 17. The announcer even jokes about like how quickly Stroud's going to get the ball out. And he proceeds to extend the play and throw a strike to Dell to convert a third and 17 out there. So, again, two very bad picks by Stroud today. Hardly a perfect performance, but continue to see the sort of throws and just plays drive by drive, man. That's made him truly one of the best, you know, surprises and just overall performers of the 2023 season. Devin Singletary continuing to dominate usage, guys. 85% snap rate, 22 carries and two targets. And at this point, you got to wonder, just with the offensive success Houston is having you know, now over the course of this three-game winning streak, and the fact that Singletary has been such a big part of it, I'm not so sure Damian Pierce gets his job back. We're definitely not going to be able to start him with any level of confidence that first game coming back, which I do think could be as soon as next week, given that Pierce did manage to return to practice last Friday before getting ruled out but man just over the last three weeks alone josh jacobs and devin singletary are tied with an nfl high 70 total touches and just on the season now singletary 4.1 yards per carry pierce three yards for carry behind the same offensive line. So maybe not the same looks. I get all that. Pierce is very good in his own right. But yeah, guys, Singletary, first time in his career with back-to-back 100-yard games. Someone that was a volume-induced RB2 going into last week. But the more we look at it, guys, this is RB1 utilization, and he's put up RB1 numbers over the past two weeks. By golly, I'm starting to think Devin Singletary might just be an RB1. So looking at the schedule, I mean, Jaguars at home and Broncos at home over these next two weeks? The thing is, I think Damian Pierce will be back for this Jaguars game. But even then, like Singletary is going to be tough to knock too far down the ranks. I still could see him maybe hanging out in that top 24. No teams on by, though, with Thanksgiving coming around. So more likely than not, I'm going to say Devin Singletary upside RB3 with the potential to really take over this backfield moving forward. We shall see what happens if and when Pierce returns. Over on the Cardinals' side of the ball, shout-out Greg Dorch. Uh, he really got to play a lot more with Michael Wilson's sideline and had a really cool yak-filled 31-yard catch. I remember just one of the dog days of like March doing some studies on like yards after the catch leaders from last year, and Greg Dorch was popping up there. So, Duke can make some plays. And, you know, here on the Fantasy Life Podcast, we like to shout-out those who make some great plays. So, great job, Greg Dorch. And also, shout-out to our own Fantasy Life contributor, Chris Allen, for calling Rondale's big game game over in the Saturday edition of the fantasy life newsletter. So make sure you are subscribed there. And yeah, early on, man, it did seem like Kyler Murray and company were clicking. I mentioned, uh, who was that had the weight taken off his shoulder earlier with the touchdown. Christian Watson. There's the Watson touchdown and there was the Kyler Murray bomb. I, just two really good feel good moments, especially the Kyler bomb, because he gets Rondale 48 yards downfield. And again, just seeing him celebrate, you could tell Kyler just happy to be back out there on the football field. I thought we were about to see a huge performance, and it still ended up fine. I mean, 51 rushing yards and a touchdown on the ground saved things for Kyler, but didn't exactly see him, you know, showing that downfield accuracy the rest of the game. That deep ball to Rondale was his only completion on passes, done at least 20 yards downfield and accordingly i mean my god marquise brown watch out chris alave chris alave is sitting there on by marquise brown's coming for everything he's worked for in terms of that unrealized air yards crown going out there guys ended up just not quite getting it so actually probably not going to have as many unreal it should still count with that He had an OPI. Yeah, that's going to be the problem. The reason why Hollywood's uh, yards aren't going to pop up as much is because he got called for an OPI on a badly thrown just under throw that could have been a 50-yard touchdown. Sadly, he came back and, you know, stopped the interception but got the opi which called the no play so happy we all got to figure that out and then another kylo pick was again to an open hollywood brown just couldn't quite lay it out there so my god i mean i remember in 2020 lamar jackson was missing marquise you know time and time again these deep balls sadly it does seem to be happening again so hey i'm not gonna you know completely give up on hollywood by any stretch of the imagination you know he does get a matchup let's see against the jaguars here or no that's the houston texans schedule marquise Brown next week will be facing the Los Angeles Rams, then the Pittsburgh Steelers. So at least in terms of the cornerback matchups, nothing to be overly scared about here for Marquise Brown. But again, like this deal was the wide receiver five with Kyler under center and no Hopkins last year. Not quite meeting those expectations yet. So I've had him. I've tried to put him in that, you know, volume based wide receiver two conversation. But with the amount that Kyler is, again, willing to feature guys like. Greg George, team high eight targets like Rondale Moore and some downfield shots like Trey McBride, Marquise Brown going to be in that wide receiver three territory for me here until he can again earn and just show that he is going to be more so the number one alpha here moving forward last few notes here. Again, I don't want to come down too harshly on Kyler. Still one of only five quarterbacks averaging 20 plus fantasy points per game in NFL history. And just the fact he still looks this fast and the arm strength is fine out there guys. Someone that's going to be in the top 12, I would bet pretty much each and every week here moving forward. So this week was interesting where we just had so many smash matchups for guys like Dak, Stroud, Purdy, guys that aren't quite as fantasy friendly as your Justin Fields or Kyler Murray's of the world, but just in terms of their health, could not be happier about how they looked and accordingly what they're going to be offering moving forward so Last note here, yeah. With no Michael Wilson in Arizona again, Greg Dorch ended up stepping into the three wide receiver sets. Rondale Moore remained the primary slot, and then also with no Noah Brown in Houston, it was indeed Tank Dell, Bobby Trees, Nico, all between 79, 81% route rates. So good stuff over there. Still a fun game. Just you know, would have been a lot cooler if they could have hit that over for your boy. But alas, another teaser snapped every freaking Sunday, guys. One of these days we'll get the teaser. One of these days. Late afternoon slate now, 49ers took down the Buccaneers 27 to 14. Tampa Bay did obviously cover just barely as 13 and a half point underdogs. The under also again, cashed just barely at 42 points. So man, when these 49ers have everyone, they got Trent, Debo, Ayuk and Christian McCaffrey, obviously making this thing spin for Brock Purdy. They are absolutely lethal. So just having at least Trent and Debo, and we saw Ayuk a little bit banged up earlier in the year, but First five games of the year with most everyone healthy guys, 30 points, 30, 30, 35, and then 42 against the Cowboys. They had that three-game run when they only scored 17 without Debo or Trent Williams, but they got them back in post by. 34 and 27 points. So Brock Purdy, literally perfect out there. I mean, 158.3 passer rating. That is the definition after all. Did take four sacks. You know, that's another example of why passer rating isn't perfect. But man, 333 through the air, three touchdowns. I mean, I ended up posting a YouTube video about some of the week's, you know, biggest mismatches. And, you know, one of these things where, yeah, 49ers against the Buccaneers, I don't think it takes a you know Joshua Dobbs out here to go and tell you that is one of the week's bigger mismatches but what I was trying to point out is just like when you do see a mismatch like this like that's when you can really ex- expect the boom outcome for someone which really comes in handy more so in a format like DFS so that was the thought here and I do think accordingly Purdy was able to pull off maybe just maybe his first career top three fantasy finish so didn't get too much on the ground but again very sharp performance from Brock Purdy and he has you know looked like an absolute phenom he ever since we saw him kind of you know get that concussion start maybe having a chance to lose his job he's come back strong and again is absolutely balling out so dime 76 yard touchdown to brandon who had 156 yards in a touchdown continue to look like the best pure wide receiver on this 49ers team that is not slander to debo samuel or even george kittle or cmc for that matter but my god when you see some of these charts you know just with separation and epa per target I really do think, guys, and Brandon is gonna put up plenty of numbers. But like, if you gave Brandon Ayuk that Justin Jefferson sort of role, where it's like, hey, if you can, you know, if we have as many dropbacks to get you 200 targets, you know, we're gonna do everything to try. I'm not saying Ayuk's better than Justin Jefferson, but I do think he could be this, you know, 1600 plus yard, 10 touchdown sort of receiver if he was in an offense that just didn't have so many other places to go with the ball. So great stuff from Ayuk. Fourth game with over 100 yards this season. Only had four such games in the entirety of the first three years of his career so truly coming on strong in a major way christian mccaffrey doing christian mccaffrey things and count it guys 50 straight non-injured or traded games because he had his snap counts cut with a touchdown and or 100 total yards so cmc the rb1 in your hearts and also in fantasy football think that is about it on the 49ers side of things. I did draw a long defensive holding call down the sideline. They could have been even bigger. And, yes, yeah, sadly, who 49ers safety. It's, you know, Fred Warner and uh, Talanoa Hufanga. I think I messed it up a little bit. But, sadly, uh, Hufanga tore his ACL courtesy of Rashad White juking him to the ground. My God, I hate to see that, man. Nasty, nasty juke. And, unfortunately, again, 49ers could be without one of their key secondary figures. So, still plenty of talent particularly in that front seven they'll be fine but yeah sucks to lose a starter no matter what position he's playing as you guys can see there over in Tampa Bay Mike Evans another touchdown one yard variety only at 43 yards otherwise but we did see him again plenty of opportunities and at the end of the day guys currently pacing despite the Baker Mayfield appearance uh experience excuse me for 82 receptions 1326 yards and 12 scores on the season so Mike Evans man i think it was uh Moo at PFF maybe. I appreciate it, Mil. Uh Someone was pointing out, like, this was the year. Maybe we're like Mike Evans. If voters were 50-50, I'm putting him in the Hall of Fame. This establishes. it. So, we've seen it with Jameis. We saw it with Tom Brady. And now we're seeing it with Baker Mayfield. Maybe, just maybe, Mike Evans is an elite and Hall of Fame wide receiver. Regardless of who's playing QB, he is sure looking like it this year. But what's crazy is, like, if you had told me, like, hey, Chris Goblin's really disappointing. And, you know, he is, at this point, 72 targets with only one touchdown. That is the the highest of any wide receiver in the league that has only scored one touchdown in second place. For those wondering is Zay flowers at 70 and he should not be there because he got raw on Thursday night football on that screen. He took to the house, but we'll talk about that in the sheesh report. But yeah, guys on the season again, the way Evans is balling out and just the way Goblin isn't, I would have been, you know, just assuming that Evans has really taken over as Baker's clear cut. Number one, this isn't the case. Think about what you would expect the overall target discrepancy to be between these guys, okay? Evans versus Goblin. In reality this year... Evans has 78 targets and Goblin has 72. So that's been the wild part. Like their expected fantasy points for game are pretty damn close. It goes to Evan. He's getting more red zone and deep ball opportunities. It's not completely equal or anything like that, but it's a hell of a lot closer than the fantasy points have been making them out to be. So, hey, Goblin did go out there today, end up catching six passes. I mean, seven targets, you know, we're only behind Mike Evans. Again, volume hasn't really been the problem all season long. Just remains to be seen if we can expect to get more out of the numbers two in a passing game that has surpassed expectations, but let's face it, still not exactly the Houston Texans out here or anything like that. So this was a matchup that we weren't exactly expecting much in. So I do think moving forward, guys, if you do still have those trade deadlines, Goblin's going to be pretty much free at this point. And I'm not saying that he's someone you're going to be rushing to, you know, fire up as a top 10 option anytime soon. But again, this matchup sucked, but moving forward, Colts, Panthers, Falcons, Packers, Jaguars, and Saints. I mean, yeah, Saints sucks in Week 17, but pretty nice five, six-week stretch for Chris Goblin on an inexplicably competitive enough Buccaneers team, you know, because the NFC South is such a dog shit division. So, yeah, I know it's been ebbing so far, but maybe just maybe Chris Goblin gets things going here at the end. Rashad White, RB1 streak, might be over after this one. He didn't put up big yardage, but still did find his way into the end zone and caught six different passes for 28 yards. So does have a chance to, again, extend that top 12 streak to five straight games, 15 more touches, continues to be the sort of guy that, you know, the RB1 utilization, the RB1 production stick around long enough. I do think we are looking at a legit fancy RB1 moving forward. And again, credit to White for what he's been doing as a receiver more than anything. ESPN, Advanced Analytics, their new kind of just receiver score metrics do have Rashad White as the single best one in the league. So, if anything, I mean, he is legit in there with McCaffrey, with Kamara, and pretty much any of these metrics you want to look at. And honestly, like, I don't blame you guys if you haven't watched a ton of Tampa Bay Buccaneers games out here. But as a pure receiver Those metrics aren't bullshit. Like he's been going out there forcing a ton of missed tackles and really just being lethal in the open field. So, yeah, my God, it's a work in progress on the ground. But let's face it, what Buccaneers running back has looked good behind this offensive line over the past two seasons? Credit to Rashad White for really, I mean, especially with the James Conner injury guys emerging as the zero RB of 2023 think that is about it. Yeah, Mike Evans, a week high, 153 unrealized air yards. So if you were wondering why he only had 43 on the game despite the 12 targets, just realize Baker was certainly throwing the ball his way. Also, Buccaneers wide receiver Devin Tompkins stopped just short of the goal line and also dropped an 11-yard touchdown. So something named Devin Tompkins almost had two touchdowns today. The more you know. Bills took down the Jets 32 to six, covering as eight and a half point favorites in the under here cash at 39 and a half. Again, just a mere one and a half point off. So efficient performance from Josh Allen. We did have one interception, but this is another example why raw interception numbers aren't that great of a statistic because it came on a Hail Mary play before the half when it's like, what the hell else are you supposed to do? Luckily in the year 2023, if you give a damn about trying to have some credibility, you can try to look up fancy Dan, advanced metrics to tell the whole story. And this year, guys, yes, Josh Allen right now is tied with Sam Howell for an NFL high 12 interceptions. However, PFF tells us that only seven of those have actually been a turnover-worthy play. For example, Sam Howe, 11 of his 12 interceptions have been a turnover-worthy play. In Josh's case, we've had roughly three or four arm punts, Hail Mary's, and last week, that Gabe Davis dropped. So, yes, the interceptions are there. And if you go back to 2018 and just count all of them year after year, they're going to be there more than anyone else because a lot of quarterbacks haven't even started since 2018. It's freaking survivorship bias all over again, you know, in college. So, yeah, with Josh Allen going through what he's going through right now, you know what he also... He's a league in passing touchdowns with 22. And he's also, uh, oh yeah, one of the best Russian quarterbacks in NFL history. It was a bit of a slide. And I'm not saying we can't criticize him, but my God, Get those interception numbers out of here. Mahomes is up in that top five if you look at the last few years, and we don't give a shit about that, and we also shouldn't care about it here. So, again, very efficient performance from Josh Allen. Got the three touchdowns. Two guys that maybe he was, you know, just not willing to check the ball to in recent weeks. Khalil Shakur with an 81-yard house call down the seam after Sauce Gardner failed to jump in front of it. Ty Johnson, revenge game special against the Jets. Got to love that. And even James Cook getting out there in the flat and making things happen there. So in terms of the usage, because, you know, switching from Ken Dorsey to Joe Brady, you can wonder exactly, you know, what's going to be going on, what's the shakeup going to be and all that. And there really wasn't a ton, guys. I mean, if you just look at the wide receivers and tight ends, same roles going on. Khalil Shakur still running a route on 75% of the offense's dropbacks. Still no Dawson Knox. You know, that is going to be the problem for him when we see that come back. Will the Bills, you know, re-embrace that too tight end set? and? You know, with Knox, about 50 million reasons surprisingly why they probably should be doing that. But for the time being, guys, Kalir Shakur really starting to work his way into that borderline wide receiver three conversation at this point inside his passing attack. So same stuff at receiver. In terms of the backfield, it's a little bit skewed because, I mean, look at this score. I mean, we're talking about the Bills being up 29-6 to by the end of the third quarter. So, uh, you know, we'll hear it kind of tomorrow a little bit. Check out the utilization report from Dwayne and everything about the specifics in the first part of the game but clearly the lead back i mean 46 snaps 39 routes we had latavius at 33 and 31 ty johnson getting a lot of mop-up duty and being under 20 but the more important thing was again just james cook racking up 20 total touches out here and continuing to look really good with his opportunities so no i don't think cook is ever going to get this 80 90 featured workhorse role but this is fine guys 20 touches in the Bills' offense. I thought we could have seen a situation where Latavius or freaking Leonard Fournette, where the hell is that guy for crying out loud? Or maybe someone like Ty Johnson really made it more of a committee. But this is still very much the James Cook show. I was nervous going into this week about still treating him as an RB2. I will not have that same hesitation moving forward in Week 12 and beyond. Meanwhile, let me see anything else here that I noted for the Bills. Oh, yeah, this is actually kind of crazy. I got a good one for you people. All right. Since Dawson Knox went down with the injury, we have four games now. All right. Last four weeks, no Dawson Knox. Josh Allen's top target is a tie. Stefan Diggs and Dalton Kincaid have exactly 32 targets over the last four weeks. Madness. It's like none of you even care. But, guys, Kincaid has more catches More receiving yards and more touchdowns. Khalil Shakur has more receiving yards than Diggs and Kincaid over these past three weeks. Does this mean anything in the long term? I don't think so. Maybe he needs some more ammo for Trayvon Diggs to, you know, fire off some tweets late night about his brother. But that's crazy. Dalton Kincaid has been the Bills' number one pass game producer over the last month of action. Madness. Diggs will be fine. I'm sure we'll get some better, better days ahead. Again, this was the worst workload. And to Diggs' credit, I mean, he did go for 100 yards on the secondary earlier in the season. So it's not like he's never done anything against Sauce Gardner and company. You know what just might be the good and get right spot? Let's let's imagine going from facing the single toughest defense and wide receiver fantasy points for game like the Jets and then facing the softest like the Eagles. Hey, Up next, the Philadelphia Eagles, where I'm sure Stefan Diggs and probably even Gabriel Davis, who went out there and did not demand a single freaking target, will get back on track. So, yes, sucks to see for Gabe. I know it's just a roller coaster. And we haven't gotten, you know, haven't been going up that slope in quite some time. Nothing changing with the routes, I do think. in this matchup with such tough outside corners, again, Probably didn't take a football genius to figure it out. more was going to get funneled inside to the running backs, to the Slott and Shakur and to the tight end Kincaid. And that is how the cookie ended up crumbling. On the other side of the football, Brees Hall took a screen for a touchdown to end the team's 13 quarter drought without a score. My God, that's a lot of quarters. So yeah, now on the season, Jets offense ranks dead last in the EPA per play. They are 30th in yards per play and guys, They have scored a touchdown on 7.6% of their drives. The next best offense is the giants at 10.7%. Like just, the Giants are 3% better than the Jets. Like just for any statistic, you're like, what the hell is going on right now? And the fact is touchdown drive percentage. I cannot stress enough how horrific that is for Zach Wilson. So I'm always going to be a little bit of a Zach Wilson apologist. Cause I like guys like Zach. I like guys like drew lock, like Jameis Winston. I appreciate bad quarterbacks. that can still be bad quarterbacks and be fun to watch, man. And we still do see that with Zach, the arm angles, the, you know, just inexplicable, terrible decisions out there running around, but having the athleticism to run around and make some bad decisions you know that's what I'm talking about there so in terms of like is he a long-term answer with the Jets sure as hell doesn't seem like it I mean he might not even get his job back ahead of next week head coach Robert Sala actually wouldn't even commit to Zach after he benched him for Tim Boyle down 29 to 6 at the end of the third so still very much confused why the Jets couldn't have paid a little bit more to get Mike White to stay maybe Mike White just wanted to go to Miami wouldn't blame them there. I mean, let's face it: weather, taxes and the football team. Shout out Mike White, you know. But yeah, not looking good uh, when it's between Zach Wilson and Tim Boyle. Worst one-two, uh, you know, situation I've probably seen since McLovin and Muhammad back in the day. So another pregame report with the Jets was that they were going to embrace their youth mostly wasn't true. Israel Abanaconda worked behind Dalvin Cook and especially Brees Hall. 61% snaps for Brees, 56% route rates, you know, very much normal usage, just didn't get more touches because of the game script going on. But yeah, Israel and Dalvin, just six combined carries and targets, still very much the the, uh, Brees Hall show in New York. The only big-time change, Tyler Conklin's routes went down from 65% to 62%, Jeremy Rucker a little bit more involved, not as much C Uzama, But the only big move that maybe could be, you know, something that matters down the line was Xavier Gibson, you know, their actual rookie who makes a lot of plays there in the return game was getting a lot more run on offense. Now, this has been something that's kind of been progressing this way. But now, guys, over these last four weeks, Xavier Gibson, sixty-two percent, seventy-four percent, ninety percent, and now ninety. Yeah, okay, and ninety percent route rate today. So that's pretty good, guys. Ninety percent route rate. That means Alan Lazard is officially, you know, behind both Garrett Wilson and Xavier Gibson on the depth chart. So, hey, were we interested in number two wide receiver in the Jets? Anyway, no, we were not. But you know, for you sickos out there in DFS streets looking for a cheap guy running a lot of routes, Xavier Gibson is that guy, pal. I don't know. Yeah, sucks on Garrett Wilson. Loss of fumble. Ended up giving you a negative fantasy points in a certain format. So, hate to see that. Just know, still very much remains good at football. They show one of his routes out there, guys. Oh, my God. No target, of course. A lot of pressure on Zach Wilson. Probably didn't see him either. But, yeah, man, just... I know we already had him like wide receiver seven, wide receiver eight before the season started with Aaron Rodgers, but honestly, that might have not been high enough. This dude is so freaking good out there. So get healthy, Rodgers. He's saying December if, uh, you know, the Jets are in playoff contention. I don't know, all of a sudden getting that second little disclaimer in there kind of feels to me like the uh, Kevin Nash wheelchair gif, but in reverse after seeing this performance. So, yeah, not great from the uh, New York football Jets, but shout out to the Bills getting back on track and trying to, you know, hold on to those slim playoff chances the best they can two more everyone appreciate y'all sticking with me rams took down the seahawks 17 to 16 seahawks covered obviously as two and a half point underdogs and the undercash here at 45 and a half so matthew stafford like it was not going well and it hasn't gone well for him in quite some time even before the injury the cowboys game the steelers game before that it'd been a while since we saw him clicking and man like was not going well early like cooper cup Wide open, guys. This one hurt. It's gonna be one of the shishas of the week. Thirty-five yard layup touchdown. Like we're talking blown coverage here. No one even near him, and I'm not even. End up hitting Cup's hands, kind of had to turn his body weird. It was like they were so wide open that just kind of panicked. And eventually Stafford's ball did go a bit too far and landed, you know, in the end zone incomplete. So, had an offsides on the play. Again, free play, free opportunity. Could have, should have, wouldn't have been a 35-yard touchdown. But instead, we are sitting here, Shishin. So, that part sucked. You know, just throughout the game, too, Stafford wasn't looking sharp. Ends up throwing a deep interception on a flea flicker. was staying down for a little bit. It looked like the Rams weren't going to do anything. And then he gets up and he calmly drives him down the field for back-to-back scoring drives to end up pulling this game out in the end. So, again, gutsy performance from Stafford. Far better, I would say, real-life performance than a lot of these numbers. 50% completion rate, 190 yards are going to, uh, you know, indicate out there. But, yeah, hey, NFC West game. Obviously, Seahawks-Rams had a lot of battles over the years. Shout out to Stafford for coming out on the right end of things. And thank you for getting Puka Nakua more involved out here. Wasn't exactly the 15 or 20 target performance we've come accustomed to seeing with Cooper Cup out of the picture. But yeah, guys, still caught five or seven targets, 70 yards and a tud out there. Again, only seven targets sucks, but I would be pounding the over if we are going to have any significant time without Cooper Cup in the picture. So speaking of that, it is an ankle injury. Didn't look all that serious at first. Even the announcer was just like, yeah, he got stepped on. That'll hurt, but he'll be okay. Came out of the locker room with his helmet. So I'm optimistic it's not, you know, gonna put him back on the IR or anything like that. But certainly would have been a lot cooler if this just didn't happen, especially with Sean McVay even saying that cup looked the freshest he had all season coming off the bye. So it's Cooper Cup. I mean, this performance sucks. I get it. Stafford and him haven't quite looked on that same page even before this game, if we're being honest with ourselves, but still had some big numbers again before this last month of a slow stretch, largely influenced by injuries with Stafford. Now a cup still going to be someone that's going to be in fancy lineups of each and every size if and when he is good enough to get back out there on the field. A lot of sheeshers in this one. Tutu Atwell racked up 59 yards worth of defensive pass interferences. Also dropped a two-yard touchdown. So he is out there in three wide receiver sets full-time alongside Puka Nakua and also something named Austin Trammell. So if you guys know who that is, kudos to you. You are a better fantasy analyst than myself. Um, Final notes here for the Rams. So when I count Sheesh's, I draw the line at the one yard line. If you're just short, you know, we got to draw a line somewhere in fantasy football with sheesh and with life, of course. But Royce Freeman, guys, three straight carries got stopped at the two yard line. So I thought I had to bring that one up because he did go out there and really dominate this backfield 61% of the snaps, and again, 17 carries to just six for Daryl Henderson. So Henderson did end up actually getting a goal line touchdown after getting absolutely mollywopped the play before. Like if you ever want to see an example of how physical football is. Look at Daryl Henderson getting stuffed out the one yard line. Kudos to him though and Sean McVay for giving him another chance the very next play went out there and scored. So Luckily he did because earlier on the same drive had a six yard receiving touchdown nullified on a fairly ticky tacky offensive pass interference call on Higby. If I do say so myself, so just a sheesh for Stafford and not so much for Daryl Henderson, but really guys, I wouldn't worry too much about this usage. I can't find the exact quote. I will try if I can, but uh, we heard Sean McVay talking, I think after their buy about Kyron Williams and what was going on with that. And he seemed to be indicating that Kyron would be back sooner rather than Rather than later. So if we can get Kyron Williams back, guys, guys, he is gonna be the featured one. And we're not gonna care about Royce Freeman or Daryl Henderson anymore. Just hope Kyron will be good. So yeah, it does seem like let's see. Okay, yeah. Sounds like Sean McVeigh said Kyron Williams could be back here as early as week twelve. So that's great. He is going to be eligible, and I would expect Kyron to be back and then in that every down roll. So probably not that same locked-in top 10 RB1 that we saw early on because, remember, a lot of those games were coming with Cooper Cup out of the picture. But shit, man, sadly, we might have Cooper Cup out of the picture again here. So when, you know, just looking at this Rams passing game, yes, Stafford will have better days, but it's when we're expecting three parties, you know, the Higbees and the Tutus and the Kyrens. Those guys are going to have a lot harder times getting going consistently when both Puka and Cooper are going to be healthy. But hey, depending on what Cooper can happen, Kyron could maybe get back in that RB1 conversation. Even if Cooper is healthy, though, Kyron, certainly someone with that every down snap rate, that's going to be really tough to keep out of your starting lineup, whether ranking them top 12, top 15, whatever that might be. On the other side of the football, another gutsy performance, man, both these quarterbacks. Because Geno Smith suffered a right elbow injury. I think Carroll ended up calling it a bruised right triceps. And, missed you know a good portion of the second half we had the drew lock experience not going well out there as much as I do continue to stay the guy I mean come on he puts on for a city you know what I'm saying out here but yeah with Gino comes out last drive of the game leads him down the field clutch throw down the scene the DK Metcalf for the second week in the row just for the freaking kicker to mess it up there in the end so I know 55 yards isn't a chip shot but you take three steps and kick a ball it's your only job you want to get carried off the field when you make it how about you just, you know, take a little bit of responsibility when you miss it. You know what I'm saying, guys? So, yeah, it could have been a lot cooler for Seahawks Faithful. That 12th man, if you would have made it, wasn't quite meant to be. Sorry, uh, Kendall Valenzuela for having to witness that one in person, but she does not have to buy a JSN jersey because sadly guys could not crack the 20-point fantasy mark. Did almost have, you know, a couple bigger catches. It is nice seeing JSN's ADOT not be like of the gadgety RB variety these days. And, in, you know, maybe 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 a little more important news. We actually did see JSM work ahead of Tyler Lockett in terms of his route rate. Lockett's still up there 71%, wasn't a decoy or anything like that. But with this hamstring injury, serious enough now for Metcalf and JSM to be the two full-time, full-time wide receivers. And now Lockett's the one losing a little bit uh, at the end. So I think it certainly warrants a slight downgrade for Lockett, a slight upgrade for JSM. But yeah, more than anything, DK Metcalf continuing to look like the alpha in this group, scored a touchdown earlier, and just overall had himself a very good game. So coming up big time in the clutch, uh, put some respect on DK Metcalf's name. I know it was quite a while since he scored a touchdown here, but still truly one of the best talents that the position has to offer. Uh, Pete Carroll did note that Geno Smith's status is uncertain for Thursday, and we do have those three Thursday games. So a lot of quick turnarounds this week. Going to be more impaired than ever to keep an eye on those injury reports. Final note here is a downer. Kenneth Walker did suffer an oblique injury that Carroll called a quote unquote legit oblique strain. So for Pete Carroll to call an injury a legit man, like my God, I am now worried for Kenneth Walker. But in all seriousness, we don't know anything just yet. Let's see what happens. He's kind of been dealing with these, you know, just. <sighs> hernia oblique type kind of body injuries a lot ever since the preseason like that was the first time it popped up so he just kind of needed a little bit of rest and then we never even knew he had the injury by the time week one came around so i would think though because they are playing on thursday this could be a tough turnaround for walker and accordingly guys i think with zach charbonnet This is a situation where it's legit the handcuff that you just cross out Kenneth Walker's name and you put Zach Charbonnet right there next to it. Like, who do I think is the better football player in real life? Like, yeah, I'll give Kenneth Walker the benefit of the doubt right now. We've seen all those big-time runs he's been able to make over the years, but this is every down workhorse usage behind him, guys. Like, better than I even could have hoped for. 84% snaps for Charbonnet, 15 carries and 6 targets. Again, only had Kenneth Walker out there for 11% of the snaps. DJ Dallas though was active only had 11% of the snaps one carry and one target because I saw some third down where they brought in DJ Dallas early but that must have been one of the only ones and it's one of these situations where again when Charbonnet already has that pass down work like it doesn't make sense for someone like DJ to come in and overtake that and guess what Charbonnet has the 215 pound bell cow that he is is also the most qualified person to take over Kenneth Walker's early down usage so just like we saw last year going from Rashad Penny to Kenneth walker seahawks are not afraid to give whoever their number one running back is a legit workhorse role and right now it is looking like zach charbonnet could be that guy in week 12 on thursday night so checking who they play right now but man when we have that kind of matchup really tough to fade oh it is the 49ers damn that's tough not gonna matter I mean, look, it's going to put him closer to RB12 than RB6 because of that matchup. I mean, if I saw the Cardinals right there, you know, we'd be talking about like top five treatment. I'd be pulling out some joke about how you only need one hand to count the number of running backs ahead of them. But, yeah, that's a little bit tougher when you got Fred Warner, you know, hunting you down each and every time you touch the football. But even then, guys. 20 plus carries and targets for any running back in any offense and any matchup is really tough to put anywhere near that fantasy football bench. So Zach Charbonnet been someone that again hasn't given us a standalone value we were hoping for, but we've stressed here over our fantasy life. He still has that sky high handcuff upside, and I think we're about to see that on display in week 12. Maybe not the huge boom that we might otherwise see in a different matchup, but certainly the sort of volume based RB1 that you could be starting again pretty much everywhere so I think that is about it on this one. Yeah. All right. And that takes us to the night game. The Broncos took down the Vikings. Entertaining one here on Sunday night. Shout out to the Vikings for still covering at two and a half point underdogs in the under here again. Cashed just barely at 43. So overall, guys, Alexander Madison. I just can't believe this guy played. My bad. You know, if you guys listen to the injury pod with Matthew Freeman and I, we really thought Madison was not only going to be out there, but also the Vikings didn't freaking announce that he cleared the protocol. They just waited for Schefter and Rapsheet to tell us on Saturday night. So wasn't going down to the wire. I mean, I don't think anyone like accidentally started Ty Johnson. And guess what? If he did accidentally start Ty Johnson, it turned out pretty well. And I say that bitterly as someone who started Jordan Addison over Ty Johnson, you know, because I thought it made sense based on things we know. But I fail to remember it is fantasy football we're talking about over here, after all. So Madison, you know, eighteen carries also managed to uh, go out there and just look good with him, man. Eighty-one rushing yards, broke a ton of tackles along the way. I mean, we did see him lose a fumble out there, but really, man, showed no signs of rust from the concussion. Honestly, looked better than he did before the concussion. Which, you know, now that I say that, probably just more of a testament to how bad this Broncos run defense continues to be. So, hey, only gave up twenty points to the Vikings. Broncos look great against Mahomes, twice against Josh Allen. Clearly, they are nowhere near as bad as they looked against, you know, the Miami Dolphins on their way to giving up 70, you know, just a month and a half ago or whenever that was. But this run defense, that's the part that remains brutal. We can have Patrick Sertan and company out there making some plays, slowing down some opposing passing attacks. But hey, that rush defense, still a lot of work to do out there. So, Just in terms of Madison and Chandler, I'll go ahead and just pull up my guy, Nathan Yonke's lovely PFF Nightly Report. You talk about grinders in the industry, everyone. My dude, former colleague Nate, who I do miss dearly, is one of the best. So again, just looking at these snaps. Yeah. Still the Workhorse Alexander Madison show, 48 snaps for Madison, 23 for Ty Chandler. So, again, seven carries, four targets for Ty Chandler. Double-digit carries and targets, not bad, especially when we're making more out of it. But, yeah, still the Madison 1A show. I mean, honestly, the RB1 show, Ty Chandler severely in that uh, RB2 slot. K.J. Osborne, Jordan Addison, Brandon Powell, clear-cut top three wide receivers. As you could have guessed, T.J. Hawkinson continuing to do his thing as well. So, disappointing game with, you know, Jordan Addison only having those 44 scoreless yards. Josh Oliver wound up being, you know, you know, the best and most productive target in Minnesota. Wouldn't expect that to happen too many more times. But the best thing for the Vikings is just Joshua Dobbs continuing to look the part, guys. So, we talked about his passing numbers not being out of this world. But running the ball and just the things the guy does to make the pass passing game work. That's what's been so impressive. So ran for another touchdown today, five straight games now with a rushing score. And even the passing touchdown to Josh Oliver was only possible because he was able to get out of the pocket, shrug off a would-be sack and ultimately make the throw anyway. So, Hey, just again, really nice performance for Joshua Dobbs and a loss. I got my uh, uh, fiance's family here for the, uh, you know, Thanksgiving weekend and her mom doesn't watch much football, but just going bonkers over the entire past story. And just again, some of the plays he's making, diving around out there, very, very impressive. So good stuff from Joshua Dobbs. And again, just because of this rushing upside, guys, he's going to be someone that's tough to keep out of the position top 15 on a weekly basis. Lord knows he's been producing like that ever since he got to Minnesota in the first place. So I know, I know this was a cake matchup, but you start looking at it home against the Bears next week. Shit, top 15, sign me up for top 12, potentially. No buys, don't quote me on that. But Joshua Dobbs again, still by far, you're telling me this dude got on the team like two and a half weeks ago, led him to a two and one record, lost by one point in mile high. Not too shabby, take a bow, pass or not, scramble, or not, rush or not, doesn't, doesn't roll off the tongue quite as well. Yeah, I'll never say that again with the Broncos. Let's ride. Russell Wilson, baby, got Cortland Sutton to send out the IG apology forms, and Cortland accordingly catches another game-winning touchdown. This one from about what was it, like 15 yards out, skied up in the air, and just came down with it. We have not seen Cortland Sutton look this good since 2019. Hand up. I definitely probably could have given a longer look to him in that wide receiver five uh, you know, tier. I'm going to go ahead and just blame the heartbreak I continue to have each and every offseason after yet another Tim Patrick season. Ending injury but in all seriousness Cortland Sutton is producing and he Looks great out there so Jerry Judy Also I mean look good caught five balls For 58 yards could have should have would Have had a 10 yard touchdown I thought He dropped it at first but they showed the replay And that defender was clearly there Early on a cover zero blitz So still had it hit one arm would have liked to see Judy make the catch. But if anything, I thought that should have been a DPI down at the one yard line. So still going out there, you know, working alongside Sutton, working alongside Marvin Mims and three wide receiver sets, all we can ask for in an offense that again, just continues to put up a bit more passing production than we expected because Lord knows that bar was set low enough last year. So, Again, with those routes, it was Judy actually leading the Broncos with 35, Sutton with 32, and Marvin Mims with 25. So, Lowell Jordan Humphrey, David Sills, Brandon Johnson, all these other guys, very much clear-cut complementary factors. At this point, so excuse me, still not much going on with Marvin Mems. only caught two passes for 12 yards. But yeah, you know, if we are going to see those Russell Wilson moon balls reappear at some point, I would expect Marvin Mims to be on the receiving end of them. So, still far more of just a stash, not someone we're going to be able to treat as anything more than a boom or likely bust, probably wide receiver five at this point. But yeah, Sutton, Judy, all these other guys, good stuff going on. Did see the backfield a little more split than I think we were hoping for. I mean, when you look at Javante, 27 snaps compared to Samajé was uh, running 20 snaps. Uh, Pirine again, soaking up all the pass time work. That's kind of the part that sucked and what we really saw on display there at the end. I mean, they said on the broadcast, he had like four catches for 40 yards there on that final drive and looking good enough doing so. So fair play to the former Washington, you know, Cincinnati uh, backup running back there. But yeah, I mean, still Javante, I mean, he's clearly the lead back. He 11 carries. I mean, no other running back had more than one carry. So definitely still going to lead the way in touches. But, you know, when we do look at Javante's usage and the way it was going, I thought that maybe we can get P. Ryan out of the picture for either Jaleel McLaughlin, who's looked like one of the most explosive running backs in the league, not named uh, Keaton Mitchell or Devin Achan, uh, but they clearly do want to keep P. Ryan involved as well. So just going to keep Javante more so in that low end RB2 range as opposed to that must start RB1 that we do know his talents have so could be better days uh you know ahead but hey Denver Broncos man keep on winning and they are now 5 and 5 after again looking like one of the very worst teams in football so fellas ladies that's it i did it Woo. Appreciate you tuning in. I know when I'm going solo, it can be a lot. I talk fast. It's hard without breaks. So no excuses, play like a champion. I'll watch the film and get better, but yeah, you know, just wanted to make sure we got all that off business as usual show goes on. So again, expecting to have my dude, Dwayne McFarlane back on Sunday night, you know, hope you guys will continue to join us then, but otherwise, just go freaking have a great rest of your week 11. Have a fantastic Thanksgiving, guys. For my money's worth, the single greatest holiday. You don't have work, so you presumably get to sleep in a little bit. I'm a big fan, you know, probably hung over for some Black Wednesday festivities. So you'd sleep in. Now we get to wake up with an actually good Lions game. We don't have to blow this one off. Football all day. Food, family, I freaking love it. The one thing I hate, though, is that they made Black Friday this month-long gimmick, and before that, they put it, like, on Thursday night. I used to be fine being one of the psychos to wake up, you know, for Friday morning, like at 3 a.m., go stand in line. I get it. You don't want to do it. Not for you. That's fine. But you go out there, you earn that deal. Like, I don't know. There was a little bit of fun to that. But when they start putting the doorbusters at like 7 p.m. on Thursday and you're asking me now to ruin my Thanksgiving to save a little money here and there, that's where I draw the line. That's where I throw in the towel, sadly. So that's my one critique on Thanksgiving. But otherwise, absolutely love it. Get my pumpkin pie. Even give me some cranberry sauce. I know some haters out there. My food takes suck. But, you know, I'll take it. So before I uh, lose too many more of you with my bad uh, Thanksgiving food takes, I'm going to go ahead and get out of here. So, again, appreciate you guys tuning in. FantasyLife.com, Fantasy Life Podcast, all things Fantasy Life. Just living that fancy life. So, I'm Ian Hart. thanks nice again for tuning in. Until next time, take care, everybody.